We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 this evening, 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8, as we continue through 1 Peter. I've been blessed at how 1 Peter has been perfect for what we're going through at, at this time. I thought last week's message was very timely and believe that this week's uh, message is as well. So let's read together from verse 8 down to verse 12. It's going to be our text this evening. So if you would draw your attention there. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. <clears throat> Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let's pray together. Father, we know that you sent your son to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Many times we don't experience that abundant life. We truly do want to love life and see good days. So we're asking that you would take your word and that you'd plant it deep into our hearts and there would be lasting fruit. We pray for your encouragement. As we studied this weekend of the power of the Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit, we invite you here, Holy Spirit, to instruct us and to deal with our hearts. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many people have you met in your life that you'd honestly say that they're loving life? That they're loving life. When you spend time with them, when you rub shoulders with them, it's evident that they love life. If you were to try to take seven days a month and say out of that week or month, how many days are spent loving life? Is it 10%? Is it 50%? Is it 75%? Is it not at all? You go, honestly, I go through a whole entire month and I'm not loving life and I am not seeing good days. Oftentimes we think that loving life is dependent upon our circumstances. If I got the promotion, oh, I love life and I'm seeing good days. If I got a raise, I'm loving life and seeing good days. But if I lost my job, I'm not loving life. And if I'm healthy and I'm strong, then I'm loving life. But if I'm sick and I've got illness, then I've lost happiness. There's an interesting study out by a man named Dan Gilbert. He does a TED Talk called Stumbling, Stumbling on to Happiness. Not a Christian, not a believer. There's a lot of scientific stuff that he puts out there. But in this study, he shows that your circumstances do not determine your happiness. If you were to win the lottery or become a paraplegic, who do you think would be more happy a year from now? The lottery, right? I won the lottery. I, I should have more, more happiness. Here's this paraplegic that's lost use of their legs 
And the scientific probability of a year later is they both have the same likelihood of being happy. The person that's won the lottery has no greater probability than someone who's become a paraplegic. And scientific studies are actually showing that people's lives that are filled with comfort are sometimes the most miserable. The most miserable. In this TED Talk, he refers to a man who spent 37 years in prison falsely accused. Morsi Bickman. 37 years falsely accused. He was arrested in the 50s for a crime that he didn't commit. And then 37 years later, he was released from prison on some new evidence that showed that he was innocent the whole time. And this is what he said in an interview when he was released from prison. I don't regret one minute of it. It was a glorious experience. How could he say that? I don't regret one minute of it. It was, a, it was a glorious experience. Some point along that journey, he decided that it wasn't what happened to him, but how he was going to respond to it. What we find in First Peter, what we've just read in our text this evening, is that in order for us to love life and to see good days, it has to do with our relationship with God and how we treat people, how you treat people. If we treat people in the way that God's word has described to us, has commanded us, it's going to fill our lives with happiness. It's going to fill our lives, not necessarily with comfort, but true joy from God's perspective. It's really important in this section of scripture to remember two things. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to persecuted Christians that are actually even being killed for their faith, and he's saying, you can love life and see good days. Also, Most of what this text is, is a quote from Psalms 34. Write that down and read Psalms 34 and look at that in totality because David is on the run from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. He's before the king of Gath. And he pretends to be a madman out of fear. After that experience, he writes Psalms 34 and chooses to bless the Lord at all times, chooses to trust in the Lord at all times. You couldn't ask for a more difficult circumstance in David's life, but he says, even at this low point, I can love life and see good days. Why is this so applicable right now? Because I think it's really hard to be joyful in the midst of all the things that are going on and how they're changing, and maybe there's an uptick in in COVID, and are we facing more restrictions? And one thing we know is everything is changing and things are not consistent. And with that, our joy can quickly go out the window. We can easily go to this mundane place like we're just on a treadmill, I'm doing another day, instead of loving life and seeing good days. So verse eight, finally, all of you be of one mind. Paul has just written about submission, submission to government, submission to bosses, submission inside of marriage. And he sums up this section on submission by saying, I want you to be of one mind. I want you to live in harmony together. The beginning of loving life and seeing good days is the attributes that we're to have. And we're to have an attribute of humility that's expressed by being of one mind. Why are we of one mind? Because Christ is the head. 
Our unity is found in what Christ has done for us. His death, his resurrection, his faithfulness in our lives. What, what brings believers to the place where we're on the same page? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We may have differing opinions on a lot of things. Absolutely, we'll have different opinions on a lot of things. But, but what brings us to this place of unity, of being of one mind, is Christ. Then we're called to have compassion for one another. So not only being of one mind, but having compassion for one another. Compassion in the Bible speaks of being affected in one's inner being, especially in the areas of your stomach. Have you ever felt so much compassion towards someone that it it moved you in your inner being? It it moved you in, in your stomach? We see Jesus uh, displaying this type of compassion. This is Matthew chapter 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So as Jesus is traveling through the cities and the villages, he's teaching, he's preaching the gospel, he's healing. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the multitudes and he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as being lost. Do we have compassion on one another, brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we have compassion on the multitudes? Do we see them as being lost? Why are they acting this way? Why are they behaving this way? Why are they making my life difficult or my life uncomfortable? Why are some of our governmental leaders making the decisions that that they're making? Because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. And to be moved to that place of compassion for them. I find that it's a lot easier to have compassion on people if I take the opportunity and the time to get familiar with their story. What they've gone through, what their joys and challenges have been in life. It then causes me to see them in a different light. But we don't always have that opportunity to hear someone's story, don't we? But take that into account. If I knew what they'd been through, if I knew what their daily life was like, if I knew what they went through as as a child, to be able to then express that compassion that that God desires for us. Later on in the Gospels, we see Jesus looking at The multitudes, once again, later on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus heard it, that John the Baptist was beheaded, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. And then he goes on to to feed them as well. Jesus just got the terrible news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. He wanted to be alone with his disciples, but the multitudes followed him. 
It would have been a time for Jesus to say, hey, could you come back later? I'm mourning. I'm grieving. I need time with my disciples, those that are, that are close to me. But instead, once again, he saw the multitudes. And this is where it can be even more difficult to operate in compassion because it's, it's one thing to have compassion towards an individual and it's another thing to have compassion towards the multitude. To see a large group of people and say, my heart is for them. My heart is broken on their behalf. We see, continuing in this verse, to love as brothers. To not only be compassionate, but to be able to love as brothers. How does family love? Family loves with an intensity, don't, don't they? Family loves with a, a loyalty. Being protective willing to work through issues. This morning I was going for a walk and was able to talk with my brother on the phone for 15 or 20 minutes. It was a great way to start the day. And my brother and I and my younger sister, we have a great relationship together. It's not always pretty. Sometimes we go through difficult things, talk through conflict with one another, but we're there for each other. We love each other with that kind of of loyalty. We know we're going to be there for each other. We've proven that over over the years. Very thankful to have my brother and my sister. And God wants us loving each other like this. Love is brothers. Our love for each other should be intense. It should be fierce from a godly perspective. To say, I'm determined to stay in your life. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting with you. I'm going to be there for you. That's how God wants us to care for each other. And this is going to lead to loving life and seeing good days. When we choose to love each other this way, it causes us to to live the abundant life. Tenderhearted is the next thing, the next attribute that we're encouraged in. I think the enemy, Satan, is after all of these things in our lives right now. For us to not be of one mind, to not be in unity, to not be compassionate, to not love one another, to not be tender-hearted. Somewhere in this journey, as we walk through the challenges that we're facing, have we lost that tender-heartedness? Do you look back and you go, man, I lost my tender-heartedness long before COVID, one of the biggest challenges in our lives is to, to keep that tender heart, to not lose that tender heart. Our heart gets hurt, it, it gets trampled on, it gets weary, it get, gets tired. But we serve the master surgeon, don't we? That's able to do business with our heart. What's at stake when our heart becomes hard? Well, one, the word of God doesn't have room to implant itself. When my heart is hard, the word of God is going to bounce off like hard soil. What is the cause for divorce? The Bible tells us it's a hard heart. When our heart gets hard towards people, then we cut off and we sever relationships. To be hard-hearted is the opposite of compassion. When we're able to look at a multitude and we no longer see lost people that need a savior, but just simply people that we're frustrated with, our heart has become hard. Maybe the sole reason that God has us here tonight is to cause our hearts to be tender, to challenge the condition 
of our hearts, to guard our hearts, to allow the word of God to to reveal our hearts? Is there a particular person God needs to soften your heart towards? Is it towards the masses, a tender heart? Bitterness robs us of a, a tender heart. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Putting off anger, choosing forgiveness, because God has so freely forgiven us. Has the root of bitterness entered in to our soul. Is there possibly a little bit of bitterness that says, I'm just so frustrated that I'm having to go through this challenge of COVID. I'm sick and tired of the reality that all these things have gotten canceled and there may be more things that have gotten canceled and everything's out of my control. It's always been out of our control, but our hearts become bitter and and God wants us to extend that forgiveness. The next attribute is being courteous. What's interesting about this word in the Greek is it literally means a humble mind. The ESV, the English Standard Version, translates it as humble-minded, humble-minded. It's marked by meek or humble thoughts towards oneself, where you see yourself in light of what God has done for us, the grace that he's given us. I love that last song that we sang in worship about the blood of Jesus and how the blood of Jesus has washed our sins away. And when we understand our own sin, then it causes us to be courteous towards others, to be kind towards others. How do we get to express being courteous towards others? It comes from a humble mind. It comes from realizing the grace that God has given to me and then understanding what a privilege it is to be able to, to serve this person. So pride is the opposite of being courteous. Pride is that, well, I'm better than you. I don't need to put your needs but before my own. So this is the key. This is the key, is to see ourselves in light of our own sin and struggles and how God has given us so much grace. Those moments in time when we were receive God's grace afresh, isn't it a lot easier to deal with other people's sin and other people's shortcomings? Go, man, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And the only solution for us is the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. All of those attributes that we just read will radically affect relationships. They'll impact relationships. They'll add health to relationships. And when relationships are healthy, it causes us to love life and see good days. When relationships are strained, when there's sin and conflict in the midst of a relationship, it causes us to go, man, today was a bummer. Today was a drain. Today sucked the life out of me, right? So it goes on, verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So first is attributes in verse 8. Now we look at actions. Don't return evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. When someone commits evil against you, man, you just want to repay them with evil, don't you? I mean, it's so hard if someone's going to punch you in the face to not punch them back in the face. 
It's difficult if someone unjustly cuts you off in traffic to not want to get out in front of them and just cut them off in return. If someone calls you a jerk to say, you know what, well, you're a double jerk. You started this, right? So don't repay evil for evil or or reviling for reviling. This is insult for insult, right? This is the downward spiral in relationships, the avalanche that gets out of control. One person starts to sin and commit evil, and then the other says, I'm going to respond with evil. I'm going to respond with, with insult. What destroys marriages? It's this evil for evil. Someone's got to give. Someone's got to sacrifice. Someone's got to stop the downward spiral and not simply go, I'm going to return evil for, for evil. This is what destroys relationships with kids. Kids come after their parents and then parents come after their kids. And before you know it, it's this firestorm of evil for evil. This is how a church can be divided. Brothers and sisters in Christ no longer talk to each other anymore because evil for, for evil. You might be able to examine some pattern of a relationship in your life that goes, man, our mode of operation is evil for evil insult for insult. And because of it, we're hating life. If you are living in that kind of relationship, you are hating life. You're going to go to bed tired. You're going to wake up tired. You're not going to be looking forward to to the next day. But you contrast that with peace. You, You contrast that with saying, instead of hurling insults upon each other, we could be encouraging each other. We could be building each other up in the Lord. So you have to choose to rely upon the Lord to say, even if somebody is hurling evil my way, I'm going to choose to respond differently. And that's what we're called to in the rest of verse 9. But on the contrary, blessing. That knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So here's someone just going at you and they're getting angry and, and they're losing it. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. To respond in kindness, to to respond with a a soft word, that's going to turn wrath away. But a harsh word, that just fuels it. It stirs up anger. So if someone is coming at you with insults or evil, look for a way that you can pronounce a blessing upon them. Maybe it's quietly praying in your heart over them. How to diffuse this situation with a soft answer. Jesus, when he was crucified on the cross, didn't respond with insults, but instead said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He pronounced blessing upon them. We are called to this. God is calling us to live differently. So you might be saying, man, my spouse is really committing sin against me. That's not an excuse for you to sin. My spouse is really insulting me. That's not an excuse for you to insult them. My, my coworker is so disrespectful. That's not an excuse for us to disrespect them. Well, people are just so mean at the store. That's no excuse for us to be out of control and be rude at the store, but instead to pronounce blessing and then you're going to inherit a blessing. 
God's going to give you a blessing for choosing to respond with blessing instead of cursing. Peter has David on his mind. He has Psalms 34 on his mind. Peter would have grown up studying the Old Testament, knowing the story of David's life, knowing Psalms 34. And Saul was a man who was angry. Saul was a man who would curse. Saul was a man who would throw spears, tear people down. And his target, the object of his anger and hatred was David. Do you know how easy it would be for David to hurl that spear right back at Saul? To respond to Saul with cursing, to respond with Saul with hatred. Somehow, based on David's relationship with the Lord, he was able to maintain a soft heart towards Saul. To where when he cut Saul's robe in the cave, he had opportunity to kill him, but he cut his robe. He felt convicted about that because he had a tender heart. He didn't want to touch or harm the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul had fallen, he was still the Lord's anointed. At Saul's death, David truly mourns. He loved Saul. He chose a higher path. And one of the things that we can see on David's life is God's hand of blessing. David inherited a blessing. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So now Peter quotes Psalms 34. For he who would love life and see good days. How many would not want to love life and see good days? I mean, how do you want to spend your time on this planet? Miserable, discouraged, depressed? Or do you want to love life and see good days? God wants us loving life. God is the giver of all good things. Every good thing comes from him. So when we love life, we're honoring God. When we're enjoying the life that he has given to us, finding joy in the Lord and finding joy in relationships, God is glorified, right? God's not glorified when I'm miserable and complaining and woe is me and looking at my feet and, you know, getting angry with people, going all homicidal in my anger, right? No, God wants me loving life and loving people and seeing good days. So, so if you want to love life and you want to see good days, it's not based on how much money you make. It's not based on how much vacation you have. It's not, it's not based on the circumstances. It's based upon how you treat people. It goes on, says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So this is how we're going to love life and we're going to see good days. Peter gets really practical. David in Psalms 34 gets really practical. First is refrain your tongue from evil. The word refrain literally means stop or cease. Put a filter on the tongue. How many times do we need to put a filter on our tongue to stop speaking? Put hearing first, listening. Put listening first. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's a practical way of refraining our lips from evil, to stop and think and wait upon the Holy Spirit and say, this is so destructive what I'm about ready to say. I'm just gonna stop. I'm not gonna say it. Lord, please put 
a trap on my mouth, all right? Cause me to choose to stop speaking, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our mouth reveals what's in our heart. So what are we treasuring in our hearts? What are we storing in our hearts? If we're storing frustration and anger and complaining, and that's the mode of our hearts, guess what? That's going to come out. That's what's going to come out. If we're storing lust and covetousness in our hearts, that's what's going to come out. But if we're putting into our hearts fellowship with God, communion with God, the truth of Scripture, praise, that's what's treasured, that's what's valued, that's what's in the bank account of our hearts, then that's what's going to come out. The mouth is an overflow of whatever is put into the heart. So, so what's been going in the heart the last month? What's been going in the heart the last six months, Right? It's out of the abundance of the heart the, the mouth speaks. We need to plead with God that he would tame our tongues. We cannot do this on our own. This is not behavior modification. This is us stepping back from our own lives and going, Lord, I have hurt so many people that I love dearly and ruined so many days of my life simply by my words. I want my words to be honoring to you and life-giving to others. So God, would you change my heart? Would you move in my heart? Would you, would you tame my tongue? The power of the gospel is forgiveness of sins and God's ability to change and transform us. So refrain from speaking evil, but also our lips from speaking deceit. What, what's that all about? Deceit is really manipulation, apart from the Lord and in his word. There, there's something that we desire. So we're going to go after it, and we're going to try to get it without being completely honest. And sometimes we don't want to be honest because being honest is painful or it puts us in a bad light. So we'll choose to walk in deceit to try to manipulate the situation. But again, that always hurts relationships and robs us from loving life and seeing good days. And so it's this commitment before the Lord. I'm not going to speak deceit. I'm not going to lie and say, I feel this way when I, when I feel another way. And we all fall short in, in that way. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. So these actions, the first action is refraining our lips from speaking evil, but then to, to turn away from evil and to do good. The idea of this is, is to turn your back from evil. So here's something that's evil that I'm doing or I'm seeing and I'm turning my back from evil and I'm gonna do good. Why does God command us to not do certain things? Because he knows that sin is gonna bring destruction in our lives. He loves us, he cares for us. He says, Eric, I don't want you doing these things. Have you ever regretted saying no to sin? Have you ever regretted saying no to evil? It says that Jesus was anointed with gladness above all of his fellows because he hated wickedness and he loved, he loved, loved, loved righteousness. So how many days of our lives have been ruined by words that we've spoken? But also how many days of our life have been ruined by evil that we've participated in? 
evil that we've tolerated instead of turning away from evil. With us having more time upon our hands, it's easy to slip into entertainment that doesn't glorify the Lord. Stuff comes up on Amazon and and Netflix. Doesn't glorify the Lord, man, turn away from it. Don't waste that time participating in it. Pornography, turn, turn away from it. Evil that's before our eyes, evil that's in our hearts, evil that's in our hands, turn away from evil and do good, to do good. Use that time and that energy to serve the Lord and to build others up. What an incredible time right now to serve people, amen? So many needs, so many people discouraged. There are people on your heart to pray for, to text, to reach out to. Someone needs groceries, someone needs a a listening ear. Serve the Lord, do, do good. Then let him seek peace and pursue it. To seek peace and, and pursue it. Peace blesses relationships, causing us to love life and to see good days. In Psalms 133 verse 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Oh, the world seems right in peaceful relationships, doesn't it? When we're getting along with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, when there's, there's peace. When husbands and wives are peacefully in love with each other, when there's peace with our, our children and, and peace with our, with our co-workers. In Psalms 133, it describes this, this peace as like oil coming down Aaron's beard. When Aaron was anointed as priest, they dumped oil on his head. And there's an anointing that comes when we're walking in peace with with one another. God's glorified in our our peace. Also, this peace, this unity is like dew coming down from Mount Hermon. So Mount Hermon in northern Israel has snow on it. It gets snow and provides moisture for the Galilee region. And God says that our unity is like this refreshment of dew, moisture that comes on Mount Hermon. So let's make this practical for for just a moment. How do we seek and pursue peace? If you're taking notes, five things to write down. The first is conflict is going to happen. Conflict is going to happen. Can I get an amen? Right? It is going to happen. We wouldn't have to seek peace and pursue it if there wasn't going to be conflict. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. What happens when sinners hang out together? They sin, right? Every family's dysfunctional. Every family's fallen. Every church has fallen. So conflict is going to happen. So understand that first and foremost. And then secondly is don't be afraid, number two, of difficult conversations, of difficult conversations. In order for there to be peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, and mending of a relationship, you're going to have to have some difficult conversations. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he says, to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. Well, that means you're going to have to say it. Speak it. You're going to have to say it. There may be a conflict that you're in the midst of, or a conflict that you've been involved in for years and both parties aren't willing to speak up and you've got to commit to speak the truth but not just to say it but 
to say it straight. One of the hardest things in conflict, if someone's talking, but they're not saying anything. Like, well, you know, my feelings are just a little hurt. And I'm like, well, my feelings are hurt. Well, why in the world are your feelings hurt, right? You know? So you got to say it, but then you got to say it straight. But most importantly, you got to say it lovingly. You got to say it lovingly. Got to be willing to have those, those difficult conversations. So number three is pray through the issue at hand before entering into the conversation. This was worth the cost of admission tonight, right there. Oh, wait, it's free. That's right. Forgot that. But if you pray beforehand, pray beforehand, you know that this conversation needs to happen, seeking the Lord on his wisdom, seeking him on his guidance. When there's a difficult conversation that needs to be had in my life and I don't enjoy them, I can tend to try to avoid them, is I like to pray through them and then write down on a post-it note the things that, that stand out, to read and pray over that post-it note and go, no, that's not right. I'm gonna scratch this out. I'm gonna add this. Lord, what's on your heart? Number four is remove the log before the speck. Remove the log before the speck. Jesus said that we have to remove the log out of our eye before we can remove the speck out of someone else's eye. We may be going at an issue going, it's all your fault. You're the problem here. We're not even seeing the log that's in our own eye. So we have to self-examine first, where have I sinned? Where have I gone wrong? Where do I need to confess and to turn from and to ask for forgiveness? Then be willing to go after the speck in someone else's eye. In order to remove the log as we're seeking peace and pursuing it, we have to own our own wrongs first. All right, this is where I fell short. This is where I sinned. This is where I sinned against God and sinned against you. And then gently, gently address the issue in their life. A speck is so hard to get out of the eye, isn't it? I'm sure all of us have gotten something caught in our eye. It's hard to get out. It takes careful detail, loving hands. So go about it with gentleness. And then number five is extend and receive forgiveness. Extend and receive forgiveness. To be willing to forgive someone that's wronged you and also to be able to receive forgiveness. Is there a relationship that you need to seek peace and, and pursue it? And as we do, guess what? God moves and he brings healing and he brings reconciliation. He's the God of the resurrection. And in result, we love life and we see good days. Nothing, nothing, nothing will zap you more than broken relationships. And nothing will cause you to go through your day filled with more joy than to knowing relationships are right with God and relationships are right with others. So seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12 for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Walking in righteousness or unrighteousness affects our relationship with God. He dwells in the light. God is light. So as we're walking in the light, then his attention and his protective eye is upon us. 
But then God opposes those who do evil. We see this in David and Saul's life. There was a nearness that David enjoyed with the Lord, but God opposed Saul. One of the greatest benefits of walking this way, to say, I want to walk in compassion. I want to be tender-hearted. I want to refrain my lips from, from speaking evil. I want to seek peace and pursue it. I want to give blessing instead of cursing is I want to be close with God. I want near fellowship with the Lord. He's, he's light, so I want to walk in the light. I want God's eyes to be upon me. I want him to be attentive to, to my prayers. God was faithful to deal with Saul, wasn't he? Saul never got away with his actions. God dealt with Saul in his own timing, not in David's timing, but God was faithful to, to deal with Saul. So let's evaluate our days. It's Wednesday. Let's just go back to Saturday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Can you remember Saturday? Maybe. Remember Sunday? Oh, wait, all days are feeling like the same right now, right? We just think about the last few days. Am I loving life and am I experiencing good days? Why or why not? Why or why not? Have I allowed current circumstances to rob me from joy in the Lord? Have I started to take frustration out on people? I think if we're not careful, that's where the direction of this is going to head. It is frustrating when you get halfway to the store and you realize, let's see here, I forgot my mask. And it's a store that requires a mask. So you turn around and you head home to get your mask. And by the time you get home, you're like, I'm not even going shopping, right? Forget this. But then you got to get food. So you get your mask and you go all the way in. And by the time you get in the store, your mask is on. And, and then someone points at you because it's below your nose. You just want to lose it. You're just like, what in the world, right? So frustrated right now. So frustrated with what's, what's going on. I started to take it out on, on people. If we were honest, would our loved ones go, you're starting to take your frustration out on me, right? Would your spouse or your kids or your best friend, your family members, your coworkers, they're going, I think you're really mad about something else, but I seem to be the object of your frustration and the object on, of your anger. So let's meditate on the grace that we have received. Remember that we are forgiven. Remember that we are new creations, that we don't earn or deserve God's favor. What Jay saying is true. The blood of Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. Let's allow God to, to meet us in his grace. Let's be honest about the frustrations and the anger that we're beginning to feel and then choose to treat people with the same grace as we've received. Choose to treat people with the same grace that we've received. But church, I want to leave you with this. Choices are not emotions. Choices are not emotions. 
If you want to love life and see good days, you got to buck up. I've got to buck up. I've got to rise to the challenge and say, I'm going to choose this. I'm going to choose to be courteous. I'm going to choose to be compassionate. I'm going to choose to refrain my lips from the words that, that I'm speaking. I'm going to choose to bless instead of being cursed because I'm tired of getting robbed. I'm tired of going through my life being grumpy and complaining, hating life and regretting days. I want to love life and see good days, so I got to do something about it. I got to take some action about it. Something's got to be different tonight. Something's got to be different tomorrow. It can't just be status quo going into Thursday, status quo going into Friday. We're going to get just enveloped overwhelmed in this black hole but instead if we respond and go God you saved me would you help me would you equip me but I'm choosing I'm choosing to live differently I'm choosing to love life and see good days I'm going to adopt these attributes I'm going to adopt these actions Morrissey Bickman who spent 37 years of his life falsely accused in prison Being able to say that it was a glorious experience made some choices that weren't based on his emotions, right? He made some choices and he said, man, here I am stuck in prison with a life sentence that I know, God knows I didn't do it, but I've got to make the best of this and I'm going to choose to be able to to respond differently. And Jesus is the source. Jesus is the well. His grace that he's given us to be able to say, Lord, I'm choosing to love life and see good days. But isn't it amazing that God says the foundation for loving life and seeing good days is how you treat people? It's probably not what we would have picked. It's not what we would have put down. But when the rubber meets the road in all practical terms, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because if we're treating people in the way that honors God, then that fills our life up with loving life and seeing good days. And most importantly, it brings us closer to a relationship with God. I love my family. I'm so thankful for my family. And if you don't treat my wife well, we're not going to get along. That's just, it. That's just it. I love her. She's just the love of my life, right? So, if you come up to me and you're mad at my wife and all these things you hate about my wife and tell me all of her shortcomings, I'll be like, pack sand, right? Because I love my wife. And I think that sometimes in our relationship with God, we separate how God feels about people. We're like, God, I love you, but I can't stand people. And God's so gracious. He's probably like, look, you don't get it. I created all these people and I died for them. I love them. So if you want to be close to me and you're close to my heart, then you're going to care about them just in the same way that we care about our spouses and our kids. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Let's take a moment to to wait upon the Lord to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us tonight. Father, we want to wait upon you and ask that you would reveal our hearts to us, that you would search us, that you would know us. 
she would reveal those wicked things that are inside of us. As God exposes things to our hearts and our lives, let's let's agree with him, let's confess to God those things. And Jesus, we look afresh at the cross tonight, look afresh at what you have, have done for us, our sin, our failure, even tonight, that, that being exposed, and you love us, you died for us, you took our sin upon yourself. And as we celebrate communion, we pray that you would pour your grace afresh into our lives for forgiveness and also for the power to change. We, we plead with you, God. We, we've tried to tame our tongue. We've tried to refrain from speaking evil, but we fall short. And so God, would you, would you change the way we speak? Would you change our hearts? God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.